podcast back again for another week of Premier League and Championship action and a few other bits in between as well. Join me, Mitchell Willis and Michael Hole, who's actually still in France. How are you, Michael? Yeah, I'm good. Thank you, Mitch. Yeah, yeah, having a great time. Um, coming towards the end of my holiday, but managed to catch up on a lot of football over the weekend and looking forward to talking all about it. That's great. Sounds really good. And uh, I believe you've been watching some football over there as well. Yeah, I got to uh, to a French regional game on uh, on Saturday. Went to see my my parents' local French side, Tarb FC. Yeah. And um, they're currently sort of relegation fodder in one of the French regional leagues, probably the equivalent to say Conference North, maybe Conference. Standard of football wasn't amazing, um, but a decent game. And uh, they played against Bergerac, who were uh, a flying high in second. And, and yeah, the away team got the win one nil. Tarb had two men sent off in the same incident, one for uh, a horrendous tackle and one for dissent, which Lovely was relatively stuff. amusing. Uh, yeah, but but there was quite a partisan crowd getting involved in the uh, in the action, and 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 yeah, it was decent, really really good experience, and something that I'd recommend to anyone coming to France. Just go along to a local game, and it's very cheap. I think it was ten euros for a ticket, and yeah, thoroughly enjoyable. Did they have any pies? No, they didn't. They did serve um, frit nice. and uh, sandwich. And the odd, the odd beer as well. Um, but no, no, probably culinary-wise, it wasn't as varied as you might find in one of the English football stadiums. But you got to kind of look at the fact that there was probably one person running that kitchen, and and they didn't have a huge amount of time to prepare everything and that sort of thing. But no, no, it was great, really good experience, and um, yeah, looking forward to to discussing the the, the Premier League, the Championship, and uh, the odd European game as well. Absolutely. Well, I think there's only one place to kick off this week, and that's Watford nil. Manchester City 6. City are absolutely rampant. And I think once that first goal goes in, game changes and, and City just kind of steamrolled them from there. And you've got to be impressed with them, haven't you? Yeah, I mean, they, they were absolutely relentless. I think that one of the um, things that you sort of associate with the Pep Guardiola team is that once you score one, you sort of go for the second. And it's not a case of sitting back and consolidating your lead and then allowing the other team to come onto you and hitting them on the break. It's very much so... Let's go for the second goal. And once they got the second and third and fourth, it was um, it was just always going to be a really tough day at the office for, for Watford when that first goal had gone in. And um, one thing that I really sort of took from this goal, uh, for, sorry, from this game was the amount of different types of goals that City score. Yeah. Um, the, they score from set pieces. They score a lot from open play. And they've got players who can hit the ball from outside the box. Aguero and, and Jesus are both poachers. Um some some brilliant finishing and I know that Marco Silva sort of came out and um, had the cheek to blame the officials on this one I know that yeah. maybe one or two of the goals may not have stood but ultimately you've, you've just shipped six at home and I think that to try and um, blame somebody else for that you just got to hold your hands up and say that City were the better team definitely and I think a hat trick for Aguero who, who at times looked unplayable um, looked very much at his best and at his peak and you know, obviously Jesus is, is doing a job with him as well, and it's it's really good to see them um, kind of performing well together. And and I think Kevin De Bruyne as well had a really really good game, and and you know he continues to look look ace this season. I'm really really impressed with him. And there's something about him at the minute in his current role where he's kind of picking the ball up deep and and roaming around that reminds me a bit of, of Steven Gerrard and his pomp, always looking to get on the ball, making the kind of driving runs through the middle, and then. You know, almost an always perfect delivery as well, and and you've got to, you've got to say that City at the moment are, are are looking delicious. Yeah, I mean, one of the things that's that's quite um, key to their sort of setup this season seems to be the um, athleticism of the, the the two fullbacks and the fact that both Carl Walker and Benjamin Mendy were able to 
almost cover the central midfield area when um, the players like De Bruyne and Silva were yeah. pushing quite far forward. And it just frees them up a little bit. It gives them a, a bit more of a, a free roll in that sense. And that's where they'll find these these sort of pockets of space and create a lot more chances. Well, that's kind of what Pep said, isn't it? He, he said he's he's kind of getting there now. He's, he's getting to that point where they're kind of playing exactly how he wants them to play. And, you know, we, we saw that last year at, at times where he was trying to kind of implement his own system and, and it, it wasn't quite coming across in some of the games. And, and now he's he's kind of given them a bit more freedom, but obviously they've worked on the system to, to be able to support those who are making those runs elsewhere. And, and I think, you know, it's, it's going to be a great, great season to be able to watch them and, and see how they kind of flourish. And, you know, certainly against the big teams, I think it's going to be the challenges for them. And um, obviously they've got Chelsea coming up in the next few weeks as well. So, so that's, that's a big one and it's going to be really interesting to see. Yeah, I mean, I think the the one thing for me is that they started the season last year in similar fashion, maybe not with um, as much going forward and maybe they didn't create as many chances as they have done this season, but it, it'll be sort of key to see how they get on after sort of 10 games, um, whether they're able to steamroller teams as they have done over the first few weeks of the season because ultimately Guardiola was sort of seen as the saviour at the start of last season when he came in and um, they won all those games on the bounce. But um, if they can continue to do this into sort of December, January, then I don't think you can look far past them for, for a spot in the top two. Absolutely. And I think just a quick note on Watford, they, they you know, they shouldn't take too much from this game. I, I thought at times they, they looked good. Um, certainly the first quarter of the game, they were very much in it. Um, and as we've said, the kind of first goal made, made the difference. But uh, they've got a good opportunity away at Swansea this weekend to kind of get back on form and... You know, they, they had some chances themselves. On another day, it may have been a slightly different story, but they'll, they'll take away from that the positives and, and, and go again. And obviously, they've had a, a good start to the season, and, and we'll see how they get on going forward. But uh, another big win uh, for a Manchester club. Uh, another 4 0 win from Manchester United. Um, quite impressed with them, uh, but you've got to say Everton were, were possibly the better side for, for large parts of that game. Yeah, I think I think they were in it throughout, and and one of the things that Kuman picked out in his post-match press conference was the fact that they just seemed to be a bit shy about getting the ball into the box. And I know this is something that you spoke to me about before we sort of came on, and um, the amount of sideways passes. And you just look at what we were talking about last week in their recruitment policy, and yeah. was it the right thing to do to bring in all these attacking midfielders when you've not got anybody up there who's actually going to do the sort of final job of putting the ball in the net. I thought Rooney looked exciting. I think he was he, he was up for the game, and um, I think deservedly so. He got a great reception from the United fans when he came off. Um, it's it's a really difficult one because when you look at the balance of play against the actual scoreline, you wouldn't necessarily think it as a 4-0. But ultimately, in the same way that you look at the England-Malta game a couple of weeks ago, um, three late goals, and um, yeah, they might put a bit of a gloss on the the scoreline but ultimately United took the chances and that's something that Everton well they didn't not take the chances they just didn't create very many chances and um, I think I think Koeman will be kicking himself I think that Mourinho's comments at the at the end of the game were sort of typical Mourinho he, he thinks that Everton should be finishing in the top four with a squad that they've got and with the money that they've spent and you could see that that, that got right under Koeman's skin with his response to that basically telling Mourinho to look after his own team and not comment on his, but I think that Koeman's starting to feel the pressure and uh, if they go for another couple of games and, and if they don't pick up the the wins that they're expected to do in the next two games, I think that Koeman might be looking over his shoulder. Yeah, well, the, the odds are up there for him to get the sack. Um, I, th I think 
the the thing with Everton for me is that you know last season they they I think they came came top of that pack in the middle of the middle of the table where they kind of progressed into uh, you know the, the seventh place and made it their own. But in doing that, they had Lukaku and and the rest of the team you know did their jobs and they performed quite well. Realistically, you take Lukaku out of there and, and that took up a lot of their goals and obviously they haven't really replaced him and, and they've just got better versions of, of what they already have, yet they're still going to finish in, in possibly the same place. Uh, it's going to be difficult for them to break through and, and get into that big top six and it just it must be really frustrating for Everton fans and um, you know certainly watching them play, again, must be really frustrating. It frustrated me and I'm not even an Everton fan and you know they're constantly getting to the last third, going sideways and backwards. No real option to get the ball into the box, and and, and naturally Rooney, as he goes through the game, comes deep looking for the ball. And you know when he does that, there's there's so much space in uh, in behind the Manchester United defence that nobody's actually going to make those runs in there. Yeah, I mean I think one one thing with Lukaku, and um, this is possibly where Everton need to change the style of play that they're. Um, sort of going with this season is is the fact that he was similar to Rooney in terms of he would come and try and find the ball, but equally if you needed him to pin their defence back ten fifteen yards, he could quite easily just sit five ten yards outside the uh, the penalty area of the opposing side, and you could just go long to him. Yeah. And you had players last season who could pick up his knockdowns, and I'm not sure that anyone really in the Premier League is is as good and as strong as he is in the air and. Um, that's that's something that they've lost and something that they'll obviously have to look to replace in January because it doesn't look like the the crop of forward players that they've got at the moment is uh, is really going to do it for them. No, it's, it's going to be an interesting one. Obviously, there's a, a World Cup coming in the summer, so potentially they could uh, try and get someone on loan for that, that six months who's trying to impress to get in the squad. Who knows? But uh, but no, I mean, they've, they've got a couple of fixtures coming up that they potentially secure a couple of wins from and... and Kind of get the mood going again and, and and get some optimism and positivity there. But in between the the games against Bournemouth and Burnley, they've got a cup game, another European fixture as well. And it's you know have they got the squad to compete at, at that level and and also compete on all fronts? Interesting one to see, definitely. But yeah, I mean one one thing just before we move on there, I I just want to get your sort of point of view on Lukaku and the fact that he celebrated his goal and sort of cupped his ear to the fine, to the Everton fans. Fine with it. Yeah. I, I was going to say I t- totally agree. I think it's it's good to see you should celebrate against your former teams. Um, you don't necessarily have to go down the Adebayor route um, from a, from a few years ago. But he got booed throughout that game by those fans, and then they expect him just to sort of walk back and pay them all the respects in the world. Ultimately, you're employed by somebody else now, and um, I think that that's that's one of the other things that we can sort of add to the list that that, that you and I really get het up about um, in terms of celebrating against your former club. So, yeah, good to see on that one. Uh, another thing, just before we go as well, is um, another thing I, I'm starting to get het up with is those sponsors on the on the arm of the shirt. I noticed Everton had angry birds on theirs, which, which meant an angry Mitch, let's be honest. Uh, not happy with that at all. Not happy. But uh, anyway, moving on. And uh, we, we saw less goals, in fact, no goals in the Chelsea-Arsenal game. Um, completely different performance from Arsenal to what we're really used to seeing, and um, you know they they really dug in and, and matched Chelsea all over the park in terms of that kind of strength, determination, and guile. And I was really really impressed with them, and, and you know happy to just watch them be patient and, and and potentially make the chances. But but if not more importantly than anything else, stop Chelsea from winning. I think that's where they've really struggled over the last few years when 
coming up against the big sides that you know as well as not gaining any points themselves they've, they've been losing the points obviously and, and you know that that shows at the end of the season in the table yeah I think Arsenal are incredibly organized in this game and that's not necessarily something that you would associate with their away performances at Stamford Bridge over the years it's a place that they've always struggled and um you you have to give credit to Wenger in this one. Um, I think that he put a team out to draw the game. I don't necessarily think that they were going to go on and win it. I know that Lacazette had the chance that he probably should have done better with, and um, that's that's just one of those things. I think that they looked um, much more defensively solid. They looked, like I say, much more organised. And um, I think that they will take confidence from the game against Bournemouth. And had they lost the previous game against Bournemouth, this is the sort of game that you could see them just going into and rolling over and Chelsea sort of comfortably winning 2 or 3-0. Yeah. Um, but no, I thought I, th- I thought they did really well. I think it's interesting that, that neither Mezzo Ozil or um, Alexis Sanchez started this game and two players who were highlighted throughout the summer looking to leave the club. Um, and Arsenal did absolutely fine without them. But at the other sort of side of the coin, they didn't score any goals and that's where you'd expect those two to chip in. So it's a difficult one for Wenger because he can't really do much more than that. I, th- I think that his his hands were tied, really, in terms of the formation that he could have played. If he'd have put more attacking players on the pitch, the likelihood is that they would have been overrun by Chelsea's sort of forward-thinking talent, and they, they, they probably would have come away with nothing. And I think that he should be applauded for that, and, and, and Arsenal will be really pleased moving into the next game. Absolutely, and, and to be fair, the, the fans' reactions have been positive from everything I've seen and heard, um, You know, which, which kind of speaks volumes for, for Wenger and also Arsenal, and you know the, the, the sheer fact that Actually, the fans don't expect that kind of swashbuckling performance every week and, and goals, goals, goals. They expect to be challenging and competing against those sides around them, and, and they're more than happy to have that sort of performance. But one, one more talking point from the game. Um, obviously, David Luiz was, was sent off at the end. Very, very needless tackle. It, you know, you didn't need to do it. It wasn't the right right place on the pitch to, to be able to make a tackle like that. And you know, and it have any real impact other than just getting sent off and um, a lot of talking point again about the high foot this week for me, let's just move on uh, let's just leave it be because every single week now there's going to be something said about that and I don't think it's necessarily going to change anything it's just they're going to have to base it on uh, circumstance by circumstance Yeah, I, I, I totally agree I think that um, that we consistency and um, yeah red card for me let's move on let's talk about another game let's talk about your game then uh, bet you are a happy Southampton fan with a 1-0 win away at Palace yeah I think that um, the performance could have been better and um, I think that Saints fans would have been overjoyed at the start a, a goal from open play which is something that we've really struggled this season um, and the fact that Stephen Davis scored on his 200th appearance and somebody that I think we paid £850,000 yeah. from uh, from Rangers at the time and you just look at that now in the sort of modern day and wonder how that was even possible um, he's been for us over the past six years and somebody that um, is massively underrated in terms of the Premier League um, I think that Palace will be disappointed uh, because I think that Saints would be a game that they would be not necessarily expecting to win, but at least expecting to score that first goal. Yeah. Um, Southampton have looked fragile at the back so far this season, and um, Hodgson would have been looking to exploit that. I think the game was won here in, in central midfield. I think that Mario Lamina and 
Oriol Romeo sort of ran the show and, and they didn't really have a huge amount to do. I, I think that Palace's central midfield area looked weak um, until they brought on Milijevic in the second half and he really seemed to strengthen it up a little bit and um, I, just Kabay looks like a, a shadow of his, of his former self in there and um, Palace just looked devoid of confidence. The one thing that Roy Hodgson will be pleased about is the fact that they looked defensively solid. Um, Saints didn't have a huge amount of chances and um, like I said, I think the game was lost more in, in, in midfield rather than in defence, whereas you look at their games earlier in the season and they've just looked all, all over the place. I think that Hodgson won't be judged on Saturday's game. He won't be judged on the next three games. He'll be judged on the performances in probably the next six or seven. Um, and I think that, that one sort of highlight for Palace was, was Ruben Loftus-Cheek, somebody that's been injured for, for, um, for a little while, came straight back in. Um, and he looked really exciting. He looked, he looked somebody that would get the, the fans off their seats. And um, if I was Hodgson, I'd be putting him sort of first name on the team sheet every week if I'm looking to get goals. Yeah, I think, you know, he's, he's definitely got potentially shown that before as well. And I think, you know, one of the key key players for, for Palace will be Zaha when he comes back as well. They've got attacking options. And I, I think once they're kind of firing and, and Benteke gets a couple of goals as well and gets his confidence up, I don't think scoring goals will be a massive issue. And as you say, you know, they did look a lot more kind of defensively organised. And I think, you know, the next three games are, are kind of games that they weren't necessarily expect to lose, uh, expect to win, sorry. Um, and, you know, the performances, he'll just be looking for, again, that kind of organisation, making it difficult for those teams. And he's also got the international break coming as well. So he's got, you know, a week and a half off where he can concentrate on working with the team and, and, and hopefully pushing forward from there. So it's going to be uh, it's going to be interesting to see, definitely. Um, another side that, uh, that, that are just struggling uh, at times is, is Stoke. Um, really inconsistent. Um, obviously had a few good results at home against Arsenal and Man United, uh, but lost away at Newcastle, who, to be fair, credit has to be given to them. Yeah, I spoke to one of our Stoke supporting mates before this game, and he told me that he'd take a point. Um, he said that he sort of perceives the, the Newcastle away game as a difficult one, um, and yeah, before the game he would have taken a draw. And it's, it's a really tough one with Stoke, because you're looking for progress from them, and they had, I think, four ninth-place finishes in a row and then they dropped back quite considerably last year and you didn't know how, how it was going to go from this season they've obviously brought Hesse in from um, PSG and he looked really exciting in the first two games yeah. it's almost like their players struggle to get up for games against weaker opposition um, you saw their performance against United and everyone looked bang up for that yeah. game and everyone sort of seemed to raise it 5-10% um, and then you looked at the performance at Newcastle and it's not like they weren't playing for the manager, but they just didn't seem as on it as they did in that in that game against United and, and also in the game against Arsenal. And um, I think that it's worth probably concentrating a little bit more on, on how good Newcastle yeah, looked at times. They created, yeah. a, create, created a lot of chances. And I think that had Jocelyn managed to finish a few more of those, then they could have been out of sight by sort of half-time. And um, that probably shows one of the reasons that, that Stoke got rid of him because I think he had three or four clear-cut chances there where he could have scored and, and, and didn't. And ultimately, that could have come back to cost them because Stoke made three pretty good chances in the last five, ten minutes where you would expect both Chupa Moting and um, Juve to score headers. Um, they were both free headers in the box. And 
if those go in, then it's a completely different story. But ultimately, Newcastle took their chances on the day. Another great goal from the Cells, and um, yeah, they're, they're they're flying. They're uh, they're up in the top four. Fancy uh, seeing the Cells for England at some point. I've not seen it mentioned a lot as well. I was quite surprised. Yeah, I'm not I'm not sure at this point. I think that um, he's sort of sticks out in that team because he's the captain, because he's relatively young, and um, because he's obviously scored two two goals that have won them games. I'm not sure that that's the best place for him at this at this spot. I think if you put him into the England squad, you're going to have to get rid of somebody like Harry Maguire, who's had probably, what, half a season more than the Sells has had at this point and probably deserves his, his, his place a bit more. But he, he will be knocking on the door at some point and it's the kind of player that Southgate will know about. I assume he's probably played for the under-21s yeah, under Southgate at, at some point. So, um, naturally, he, he will be spoken about. But I just think at this stage... Newcastle's back four don't keep a huge amount of clean sheets, and I think until they do, um, he's, he's probably right to, to be overlooked at this stage. Absolutely, okay. Lovely stuff. Well, that's the end of part one. Uh, join us after this short break for part two. Sorry, guys. I, I was going to, you know, kick it up the other end and just put one right in their fucking goal hole, but no dice. <laughs> Welcome back to the Sweet Podcast, everybody. And we've got Bournemouth 2, Brighton 1 to discuss now. So a big and much-needed win for Bournemouth after a, a, a very poor start. But uh, it's, a, it's a very even game in the first half uh, with newly promoted Brighton. But um, they actually got on top at the start of the second half and took the, took the lead, Brighton, through Solly March. And then uh, a, a bit of a game-changing substitution from Eddie Howe when he brought Jordan Ibom. What, what were your thoughts on him? Yeah, Jordan Ibe, the forgotten man of Premier League football. Yes. Um, someone who I think Bournemouth paid about fifteen million for yeah, uh, the yeah, summer before last, and he just didn't really feature for them, did he, last season? And um, he he looked devoid of confidence um, in, in in some of the games towards the end of the season, and uh, obviously came on, got two assists, got man of the match, and hopefully that's the sort of spark that he'll need to get his Premier Premier League career yeah. back up and running. Um, like like you say, a massive three points for Bournemouth. I think that one thing that they'll be over the moon with is the fact that Jermaine Defoe scored his first goal, and he's always been a bit, a bit of a streaky striker, especially when he when he was um, at Bournemouth before. Didn't he have like the the record for for yeah. English league goals in a row? I'm yeah, sure he got about fourteen in a row or something like that. So they'll be hoping that this will be the start of something. And um, just just a quick word on, on, on Eddie Howe. He completely stuck to his plan, even when they were 1-0 down. Yeah. Didn't didn't lump it long, didn't panic, just put a player on that he thought could change the game. And um, I think the only issue with Jordan Ibe is Bournemouth aren't in a position to allow somebody that free role that maybe De Bruyne or Silva would benefit from at City. I think that they, they can't necessarily have a, a defensive passenger um, and that's probably why he's not played that much because that side of his game's never been as as good as when he is going forward, yeah. and that's 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 where Howe's going to have to because naturally Jordan Ibe will want to start the next game, but I think Eddie Howe's got to try and consider where the best place to play him is. I think the the problem for me and and kind of having watched the game and and it's similar to Everton really, but but in a completely different way, it was very frustrating to see because they had they obviously had Defoe and Josh King playing up front together and. They actually missed out the position that Everton was stuck in, so you know um, they had no one to really go be- between the lines. And Defoe and King were kind of pushed onto the two centre halves, and and not really doing a lot other than just just kind of staying in that position. And 
the difference that I've made was that he was given that free role to to kind of break between the lines and um, and and make something happen. And you know, for, for me, ironically, they they kind of missed someone a, a little bit like Wilshire, who was obviously there last year and, and didn't really impress. And I, I don't know whether it's something that Eddie Howe is going to focus on. As you say, you know, he's not necessarily in the position where he he can do that, but. You know, fair play to to Jordan Ibe coming on and making that impact. There's the potential there that maybe it does push him on, and and it's a big difference for Bournemouth. But like you say, there's a certain degree of um, kind of conservative nature to to what they're going to have to do for the rest of the season. But agree, big first goal for Defoe, and you know Defoe's goal was in typical fashion as well. There's not many better in that position to just turn, swivel, and bang, as Jamie Carragher kept saying on the commentary. Uh, speaking of Jamie Carragher, uh, Liverpool won, Burnley won. Uh, I think it's going to be a, a a pattern for the next couple of games that we discuss to uh, talk about how many chances one side had and, and didn't come away with three points. Yeah, I think obviously Liverpool created a lot. Mohamed Salah had a great game again. and um, the, the, Similar to what we really talked about with Everton, they created a lot, but they didn't necessarily have that, that striker to, to finish yeah. those chances. And um, Klopp, might be left wondering whether he should have done a little bit more business at uh, centre-forward in the transfer window, similar to Koeman. I think that they've got great attacking midfielders in um, Salah, in Lalana, in Mane, and even Firmino, because ultimately he's not a centre-forward. and um, Sturridge isn't going to get you 20 Premier League goals a season, and that's what Liverpool really are going to miss out on. Um, I think that Burnley absolutely rode their luck at times, but you have to do that as that sort of team when you go away to Anfield. I think they fully merited that point. Yeah, they did. Um, Liverpool had 30 more shots than Burnley, um, which which almost mirrors when uh, Burnley were away at Manchester United last year, who had 31 against them. Neither side got the win. Um, and sometimes it just doesn't go for you. But, you know, Burnley will, will ride their luck and, and they'll put men behind the ball and, and do what they have to do. And, um, you know, considering where they've been this season, Stamford Bridge, Wembley and Anfield, they're unbeaten away from home so far, which... You know, they is is a polar opposite to where they were last year. So they'll definitely take the positives. And to be honest, they actually had a few decent chances at the end of the game to to get something out of it, other than a point. But uh, but no, it would definitely be frustrating for Liverpool. And and I completely agree what you mean about Klopp. I obviously spoke about him last week, and you know, potentially not having more than a plan A. And and he, he's obviously got a system that fits well with uh, Mane, Salah, and, and Firmino. But, like you say, sometimes you, you need something different. You need that centre-forward who's just going to hang on the last defender and, and pick up any scraps, and you can get the ball into him and he's going to make a difference. And, you know, that's potentially going to count against them on more than one occasion this season. Yeah, no, I I, I agree. I think that um, it's quite interesting to see the reaction of Liverpool fans on social media after this game as well. I don't know if you've seen it, but there's, um, there's a clop-out Twitter page which has got about 20,000 followers. Yeah. Um People who just don't see a future for him at the club, based on tactically how he approaches these type it of games, and um, and they're talking about flying a banner over at Liverpool's next home game, and um, you just wonder whether they're going to get to a point with Klopp where where the sort of ex pros are going to start speaking out against him because at the I think that the media absolutely love him and he's somebody that's made such a difference to the English game. He's got a very refreshing, honest approach. Um, but ultimately, if they don't get the results on the pitch soon, then he's another one who could be really struggling. Yeah, I, I agree. I've described him as a walking meme. 
Uh, I think sometimes he almost panders to that the circus that surrounds him, and, and I think that massively deflects away from you know his potential um, in, inabilities within his job. But, but I mean, we'll, we'll see how it goes. Liverpool, quite rightly, will get criticised um, last few games, and, and the start to the season full stop hasn't been great. But uh, obviously, you can only judge them after after a bit longer, and even at the end of the season as well. Uh, another side that have really struggled, and, and as I said, it's going to be a similar pattern talking about this game, is Spurs. And it is official. They can't win at Wembley. They can't play at Wembley and win at Wembley, surely. Well, I thought that they'd really turned the corner after that Dortmund game. I know that they rode their luck a little bit in that one, but to come away with um, with a victory in that game would have been massive for them. You would have thought their confidence would have been up yeah. and they would have sort of been really chomping at the bit for, for this game against Swansea, a, a team that you would expect them to beat quite quite easily. And um, just the same old story, really, with Tottenham. You look at the game against Burnley, and I know that Burnley came into that a little bit towards the 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 end of the game. But Spurs just look. I mean, one of the things that I want to try and figure out is why they're able to create so many chances but finish so few. When you've got players like Ericsson, like Ali, like Kane, what's stopping them from scoring these goals at Wembley? I mean, what's your sort of viewpoint on it? I think a lot of it, and, and you shouldn't necessarily blame it on luck, but I do think it is the luck. I think they're unlucky. Um, you know, they're, they're hitting the target a lot of the time, and and as you say, they are creating the chances. And at some point, it will just fall into place. And you know, you see United and City winning, you know, three, four, six, five, six nil, whatever it's going to be. Spurs will get there eventually, and um, I think there must be something that plays on their mind—a little bit of doubt when the ball does come to them that. You know they're not quite as comfortable as they certainly would have been at White Hart Lane, and, and even away from home as well. You saw them at Everton last week, and, and they did look a lot more clinical. And I, I think it will fall into place. I, I genuinely don't think that there is anything um, other than just the, a little bit nervy and, and just being in a position they're not quite used to. And, and I think sometimes as well, you get into that position where it's just not going for you. And the last 20 minutes of the game, you're continuously piling the pressure on. And it just doesn't go for you, and it must play a part in your mentality as you go through the game. Yeah, I think that we need to just mention Fernandez and and, and Fabianski for Swansea. Swansea great, you can't take a, you can't take anything away from them at all. Yeah, I, th- I think they were both excellent. I think Fernandez, somebody that um, people thought was probably not cut out for the Premier League, didn't necessarily have the concentration required to really do it at the highest level, and and he was he was fantastic. I think that. Um, Swansea, the main issue for them is going to be scoring goals this season. It's something that we talked about previously. They've got Wilfred Boney, they've got Tammy Abraham, but the the one person that they're going to miss massively is is, is Gilfie Sigurdsson, somebody who could put the ball in those areas that could have made such a massive difference. And you saw the ball that Matt Ritchie played for the Christian Atsu goal in the Newcastle game, and that's the sort of ball that Sigurdsson could really unlock, unlock defences with. Um, and I think that Swansea will be pleased with the point, but they will be worried about the fact that they they can't seem to score goals this season. Yeah, I agree. Another team pleased with the point will no doubt be Leicester, who drew one all away at Huddersfield. And Huddersfield will be happy with the point, but it will be tinged with some disappointment. They've not not going to got more the amount of chances they've created. And you know we've spoke before about um, uh, you know individuals for for that team and. and in particular, Aaron Moy, who again seemed to be the kind of standout player and dictated the tempo of the game, and completed the most passes. And you know there, there were chances being created, and you know, they've had a goal disallowed for offside that was definitely questionable. Um, and they've, they've 
they've you know Leicester have equalised as a penalty, um, and and equally could have had some chances themselves to to bury. Yeah, I mean, you look at the Vardy chance when when Mares beats his man and puts it puts it across, and you wonder how he's not got to that one. But I think that um, Huddersfield will feel aggrieved at, at not at not winning that game because I don't think it was questionable. I think it was a goal, and I think that Andy King plays Kachunga on side, and and it's it's frustrating, and it can be those margins at the end of the season that can be the difference between sort of relegation and staying up. And um, I think that Huddersfield will be frustrated because for the first 25 minutes of that game, they absolutely dominated. They were so much better than Leicester. Uh, they just didn't manage to finish any of their chances and they'll they'll be scratching their heads as to why they couldn't do that. I think that obviously Steve Mounier is going to be a massive miss for them in that game and uh, you just hope that he won't be out long-term because he's been pivotal to their sort of success so far this season. Um, um, one thing that I'm wondering is when has Huddersfield got a difficult game? Um, because... They're, I mean, and I mean that seriously. You look at their first five fixtures. You've got the likes of Palace. You've got the likes of Southampton, Leicester. Um, they don't seem to have played one of the top six, seven yet, and um, surely that's got to come soon. And that's where they'll really be judged. Yes, yeah, so they're, they're away at Burnley uh, this weekend, and then they've got Spurs at home the weekend after. So you think that's the kind of big test for them. And you know, it'd be interesting to see how they get on. I think having that first game at home. Um, and to be fair, the next game they've got um, uh, Swansea away, but after that is is United at home again. So there the will be tough games coming. And I think you know they need to uh, try and get as many points on the board as possible uh, against the, the teams in and around them, um, like Leicester and, and Burnley this weekend as well. So yeah, it's uh, yeah, absolutely. To see them definitely. Um, I mean, I'm not just before we finish on that one. I'm not taking anything away from the the start that they've had because I think it's been excellent. Yeah. But it's just um, you just these teams that come up, you expect them to look for the first big fixture. Um, and I just wonder how they'll cope with the difference in approach to the likes of Spurs and United um, to the teams that they've played so far. And absolutely fair play to, to how, how they're getting on. But but I, I think it'd be very interesting to sort of see their performance levels against the bigger teams. Absolutely. And the, uh, the last game of the weekend, I don't think we need to say a huge amount about West Brom nil, West Ham nil. Um, West Ham looked quite positive and, and buoyed by their first win of the season last week but going to the Hawthorns never an easy task and that kind of ever resolute defence dug in made it really difficult for them and, and you know both sides will be happy with the point in the clean sheet Yeah, the uh, the latest instalment in uh, in Joe Hart corner you said on last <laughs> week's podcast that he would definitely make a, a ricket in this game and probably drop one into his own net and he's kept his second clean sheet in a row his second in in 24 games yeah. so um, I think that one thing that we should take out of this game is the fact that Gareth Barry equaled uh, Ryan Giggs' appearance record in the Premier League. He's made 632 appearances, and do you know what? He's uh, he's an unsung hero in so many teams, and somebody that's been so consistent over the years, and just sort of continues to produce at a really high level. And and I think that other than that, let's uh, let's move on. Yeah, I mean, just just on Barry, obviously, I've watched him growing up, coming through the ranks at Villa, and. You know, playing at, at centre half originally, and then moved out to the left, and and it has now kind of become that um, that dominant force in the midfield, I guess, to a certain extent. It's been been great to see. I think the only thing that really irks me about the fact of celebrating this is that he's equaled the record, and we're not celebrating him beating it. Just it, it, well, it, you it's say that. I, I don't understand why we're celebrating that. He's definitely going to play another game. It's not as though he's done. 
Yeah, absolutely. But then you look at it and he's actually, with this game, he's made 600 starts in the Premier League, which is more than anybody else. And um, I think that when we talk about the record, it's more about the fact that you look at Giggs' appearance record, certainly towards the end of his career, he was making less and less starts in the Premier League and more and more substitute appearances. Gareth Barry starts more games than anybody else, and that's actually true now in the Premier League, and that'll be written in the record books for probably years to yeah, come. I agree. And uh, while we're on Villa, I think it's probably about time we had a break and then come back for the Championship Roundup. I might have. Yeah, you're looking yeah, forward yeah, to this one, aren't you? Bits and pieces to say in this one, but uh, yeah, join us after this break, and we'll uh, we'll catch up then. You try to kick it in the goal, you hit me. Got some fucking brains, didn't you? Sorry, just the last word then on, on Wolves. It, it's a it's a big game, a game at Molyneux, big crowd. Uh, it, it's a big match for you. Yeah, it's a big match. No one is in the fucking reserve. Welcome back to the Sweep Podcast, and we're going to talk Championship, and we're going to start with Aston Villa, of course. Big three 0 win away at Barnsley. Not a fantastic performance, but equally Barnsley looked quite poor and afforded us far too much space which for once we actually took advantage of. Um, looked quite solid at the back, though, with another clean sheet, and it's it's six unbeaten, which we'll, we'll absolutely take. Um, just need to turn some of those draws into wins, and we'll be climbing up the table. But I think the positives out of the game was, was great to see Jonathan Codger back, who was obviously our talisman last season and, and has been out injured this season so far. And, and Keenan Davis, who I mentioned when we beat Norwich a couple of weeks ago, uh, was involved in the first two goals and then got the third to score his first for the club. Um, and he, he was fantastic throughout, and I think he's he's got the potential to be uh, a bit of a fan's favourite. He's quite a quiet, unassuming lad, um, but a big lad as well. And, and I think, as I've said before, we, we do like a big lad up front for Villa. But I'm op- optimistic about him and optimistic about us as well, potentially. I think he can really form partnership with Kodjev. Spearhead us up the Premier League. And the, there was a great moment about five minutes after uh, the, the second goal, which is a penalty, where uh, you could hear a Barnsley fan just shouting, No penalty linesman! No penalty linesman for about 30 seconds, which was absolute cold. Um, but there was another big story in the championship, and, and this was announced whilst uh, whilst Villa were, were beating Barnsley, and that was uh, Birmingham lost again, and then Harry Redknapp leaving the club, um, which was glorious to see, and nothing was summed up better than uh, Sean Teal's tweet, which I'm, I'm sure you will have seen, Michael, and, and hopefully many others which was uh, along the lines of Redknapp sacked, laughing my cock off. Go and crawl back under your stone, saggy bollock face. And uh, I think we can all agree with that. So let's move on from that and uh, agree that Birmingham were absolutely woeful um, and that they're really struggling this season. And and to be honest with you, as much as it's funny for me and uh, I'm more than happy with that, it's it's disappointing to see that... uh, you know, the, all the work that they did uh, kind of 10 years ago to get themselves in the Premier League is massively undone with uh, with with poor owners and the clubs being run into the ground, which which isn't great to see. And, you know, I would always want to, to see Villa play them. Um, and if, if it's in the Championship, that's fine. In the Premier League, that's fine. But at the end of this season, potentially Birmingham will, will stay up by goal difference and, and that'll be fine. And, and, you know, they can crack on from there and... It'll be interesting to see who they get in as their next manager because I think they, they need to not go with a, another Hollywood name, as it were, and, and get someone a bit more uh, stable and progressive. Uh, but we'll see how that goes. Uh, some other notable results this weekend uh, included uh, Leeds losing their first game of the season away at Millwall 1-0. And, and from what I can gather, they very much deserved it as well. I think they were really off-colour and, 
uh, particularly after their dominant performances over the last few weeks I, th I think they'll be really really disappointed with that uh, one club who won't be disappointed though is Ipswich who uh, after a couple of shaky results uh, returned to winning ways and, and continues to impress and they uh, d to be fair they beat a Bolton side who are probably already nailed on for relegation it has to be said uh, Wolves won away at Forest and uh, Middlesbrough came from behind twice to beat QPR at the Riverside whilst uh, Sol Bamba scored a 95th minute equaliser for Cardiff to earn a point against Sheffield Wednesday to keep them on track as well Michael Harry Redknapp talk to me I know he's uh, not one of your favourites is he no not, not not really do you think it was a knee jerk reaction from the Birmingham City <laughs> board um, a dodgy knee jerk reaction potentially yes but um, but yeah I, I think he was probably the right person at, at that moment to, to drag them out of this he spent a lot of money uh, I think he's got players on big contracts as well so you know it, it's difficult to see the, the kind of logic where they're, they're willing to back him to that extent and, and now he's gone but you know, never mind, uh, and he possibly won't manage again. Apparently, so not the end of the world. Not not a great loss for for me personally. Um, but what about our boys in Germany? I, I know you've been looking this up, haven't you? Yeah. So Hertha Berlin, uh, their lads, as we like to yes. refer to them. Um, just before we go on to their weekend result, they were in Europa League action on Thursday, which we sort of failed to mention on the last podcast. And they started in in solid fashion. They got a nil nil draw at home to Athletic Bilbao. Um, a team who will really be looking to progress out of that group yeah. along with Hertha. Um, and, uh, yeah, fans were happy with that, by all accounts, looking at social media. And um, then they followed it up with, uh, with a really difficult game away at Hoffenheim. Uh, Hoffenheim, who obviously faced Liverpool in the Champions League playoff and um, ended up losing that game. They were also in Europa League action on Thursday night. And, uh, yeah, they went, they went behind against Hoffenheim after six minutes, but managed to get an equaliser in the second half through Alexander Svein. And, uh, yeah, came away with a point, which is something that they'll be looking to build on because their away form last year wasn't very good. So, uh, really, really important point. And they're, uh, they're up, up against Mainz next, uh, next week. They're, uh, they're away and, uh, and Mainz lost 4-0 this yeah. week. So that'll be a game that Hertha will hopefully have sort of highlighted for, uh, for a win. And we've, we've made a bit of, a bit of contact with, uh, with a few Hertha, um, social media accounts this week and we're hoping to have somebody come on and basically improve our knowledge on the team that we're going to follow all season but yeah decent decent result for the for for dare lads and uh hopefully that will be built upon next week absolutely up dare lads and uh i think building on is is probably quite key for the next section where uh we have a quick break and then we'll come on to the quiz where uh hopefully i can build on a, a terrible start and uh yes yeah, see how we get on after the break Quiz champions for six years now. We nearly um, lost it two years ago, unjustly, because Gareth was quiz master then. The question was, what type of alien is Mr. Spock? And everyone put Vulcan, which is incorrect. Mr. Spock is half Vulcan, half human. Okay? And Gareth went, oh, look, just everyone gets one point. I said, no, no, everyone does not get one point. Carpet munchers don't get a point. Dr. Wankenstein doesn't get a point. Stephen Hawking's football boots don't get a point. I do. I had to go home to get a book to prove it. And uh, they went, oh, yeah, yeah, you're right again. Well done. You've won. Sorry. No apologies necessary. Let's get on with the quiz. But Remember, le learn. Welcome back to the Sweet Podcast, and it's the final part. And just before we get on to the quiz... Um, just thought it'd be worth saying that we're now on iTunes, so you can subscribe to us to get us every single week. And it'd be really, really good if you can uh, give us a review and rate us as well. 
preferably a five-star review and, uh, and rating. Be really good to uh, see us get into the kind of algorithms of moving up charts and all the suggested podcasts and the in the wealth of football podcasts that are already out there in the market. But obviously, just us two lads, the amateur game would be uh, would be fantastic to see see some positive reviews and and obviously you can still get in contact with us uh, via Twitter at the Sweeper Pod. Uh, on Instagram as well, we're constantly putting some photos on there at the Sweeper Podcast. And the email address, if you want to contact us, is thesweeperpodcast at gmail.com. But for now, it's time for the big quiz. Michael? Yes, Mitchell, it's quiz time. Please. And uh, I know that you you sort of got a bit of ground to make up on this one. And all the toys went out the pram last week did, following yeah. the fact that I got the uh, the Derby County... Pride Park Stadium question correct. So we're going to change it up this week. That that was always the plan. Yeah. Uh, we'll do four weeks on each subject, and we're going to move on from grounds to managers. Okay. So that's going to be your subject for this week. Yeah. We'll keep um, we'll keep it the same in terms of the content. It's still going to be either a Championship manager or a Premier League manager, okay. and they have to be they have to be current. So it's not an an ex manager or somebody who might have managed a, a club for a day or two. Um, I've got I've got every confidence that you're going to get this one right, mate. So I'm going to kick us off. You've said that every week. So just, we'll see how I get on. But yeah, go for it. Hit me with it. The first question is, this manager's playing career included teams such as Manchester City, Celtic and Lyon. Right, OK. Um, I mean, in theory, that would probably lean towards a foreign manager but I'm really struggling to think of anyone but uh, no I'm going to go for Mark Hughes Mark Hughes is incorrect but not a bad guess the next clue is this manager has won the championship twice with two different teams someone like it's not going to be Brucey I'm going to go Ian Holloway Ian Holloway is incorrect. The third clue is, this manager retired from playing in 1992. Okay, so that was was quite a while ago, so probably probably aged a fair bit. Um, And on that basis, uh, I think I'm going to go with Big Mick, Big Mick McCarthy. Mick McCarthy, that is the correct answer, Mitchell. You're on the board. <laughs> yeah, well done, mate. Um, the 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 other two clues just before we go were that um, this manager had 57 appearances for his country, scoring two goals, and he had managed Millwall, Sunderland, Wolverhampton Wanderers, and an international team. Was the fifth and final clue. But yeah, on the on the board, three points, mate. You'll take that, won't you? All day long, my friend. All day long. More than happy with that. Excellent. Good stuff. Well. If you've got any questions um, that you think we should be asking, uh, as I said before, get in touch with us at the Sweeper Pod on Twitter, and uh, email us at the Sweeper Podcast at Gmail dot com. And and of course, as I said before as well, now on iTunes, it'd be it'd be marvellous if you could subscribe, and uh, rate and review us. And you know, five stars would, would go a long way uh, to making us happy, happy chaps. But uh, Michael, a pleasure as always. Enjoy the rest of your holiday. Thank you very much, and yeah, look forward to uh, to speaking to you all next week following the weekend games. Good stuff, excellent. Well, we will see you next week. Arriva Dirchi. Au revoir.
made your name as a wheeler and dealer. There's not no, been I'm much not, wheeling no, and no, dealing, no, has there? No, I'm not a wheeler and dealer. <laughs> no, oh, oh, no, I didn't mean it like that. I didn't mean it like that. Nobody's got a name as a wheeler and dealer. Don't say that. I'm a fucking football 